Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Elizabeth Parrish. She's the CEO of BioViva Sciences. Uh, I've talked to her a couple times before. Elizabeth, thanks for coming again. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be here and have a conversation with you about what's what's happening in the gene therapy area. Yeah. Well, um, as you mentioned offline, your experience is very different from, let's say, a researcher, because you've actually had a uh, viral vector gene therapy yourself, and you know you deal with more clinical applications. Let's start out with that. So what what kind of therapy did you have and what viral vector was used? And just tell me about your experience. Right. So, you know, over the years, I, well, I started with the telomerase inducing gene therapy and the myostatin inhibitor. And uh, so those genes are respectively called HTERT, which is, creates an enzyme called telomerase that lengthens the caps at the ends of your chromosomes that are called telomeres that shorten as you age. And then the other gene therapy is called folostatin. And folostatin is a gene that creates a protein that blocks something called myostatin. So you might hear it called a myostatin inhibitor. And the reason you would want to block myostatin is because myostatin blocks muscle growth and frailty kills people as they get older. Uh, we all know somebody who's fallen down and broken their hip or, you know, become unsteady and needed a walker. So the idea is to, you know, enhance uh, the muscle mass of those uh, people. There are also two other gene therapies. One is called PGC1-alpha, and it is mitochondrial stimulant. So it basically helps with the biogenesis of mitochondria, making healthier, more robust mitochondria. And mitochondria are these little organelles in your cells that um, create energy. They are the powerhouse of your cell. And they also tell the cell when to go through cell death. So having healthy mitochondria is very important. As a matter of fact, mitochondrial dysfunction is associated with all the diseases of aging. And I've tried a small amount of that. And um, clotho is the fourth gene. And clotho is a gene that codes for a protein that essentially protects the cardiovascular system, the kidneys. And uh, in a couple of research papers now, we see that it protects against the cognitive decline, decline associated with dementia. So you know, they, this is why sometimes people die and upon autopsy after death, they see that they actually had clinical signs of, of beta amyloid plaques and tau tangles, things associated with uh, Alzheimer's or dementia or vascular dementia, but they didn't suffer from the cognitive decline. And that's believed to be associated with clotho. And all four of these genes, interestingly enough, all extend human, uh, not human health span. We don't know that yet, but I would say, I bet they do, (laughs) but they extend uh, animal uh, lifespan and health span significantly. So uh, for someone, let's say that knows nothing, what did the gene therapy do? How did it work? You know, pick one and you can go through literally the mechanics of it, how something like that works, what it does. 
Right. So when we're looking at gene therapy to treat the biggest unmet need, which is biological aging and chronic disease, we're looking for a gene. Uh, so in your chromosomes, every cell of your body has chromosomes and the chromosomes have genes in them and the genes code who you are. So they, you might think about your eye color is coded by your genes, but also, you know, the amount of muscle mass and sometimes even our personality and behavior are as well. But what we're looking for at our company is genes that are considered therapeutic genes that will make the cell behave more youthfully. And um, so you could just simply think of putting a hundred cells in a dish. And if you use a gene therapy on them, do they go on to proliferate and live healthy longer than they would ordinarily? Yes. Okay. And then we look in a mouse and we say, does the mouse live longer and more healthy with this gene therapy? Yes, they do. So Okay, so now we have our gene candidate. And what we need to do then is decide how much of this gene candidate's protein do you need? And that's where we bring in a promoter. So don't get lost. So a promoter houses, think of it as the head of this gene. Now we've just, we've, we've got a little uh, stick person. We just plopped on the head and the head, the thinking machine is going to be the promoter. And it's going to tell that little body how many times to walk and jump up and down and, and to, in the case of a gene, create a protein. And so we say, okay, we want a lot of this or we want a little bit of this. Then we take this promoter in this gene, if it works in a human cell and if it works in an animal model, and we stuff it into a delivery method. And vastly today, the delivery methods are still vectors. Uh, they're viral vectors, but they can't get you sick. So they're, they have all of their ability to replicate, taken out, and we put in the healthy therapeutic genes. Okay, so now we have a vector. When you say you have a vector, you mean you have like an empty capsid stuffed with, uh, with the gene sequences that a person will be getting? Like literally, what do you have? Yeah, the whole thing is a sequence. So we have a sequence of, we have the capsid, then we have the sequence of the promoter, and we have the sequence of the gene. So we've, we've created this perfect little package, like a, your little birthday gift that's going to be sent to your cell to deliver uh, this therapeutic gene. And the reason that the viral vectors are so good, this vector is so good, is that evolutionarily, uh, that's what vectors do, is they deliver genes not only to the cytoplasm, but to the nucleus of the cell. And some of these genes we want to get into the nucleus. And um, so we don't want to get you sick, but we do want to deliver the gene. And this is, this is the beautiful balance. So if you have a vector that can't replicate and can't cause disease, but it can deliver a gene, that's what we're looking for. Okay, so now we've got one. And one of these would not even be visible on the head of a pin. I mean, it, you would have to really super magnify to just see this one. But when we're treating a body, we probably need quadrillions of these, uh, depending on the therapy. So now we have to make the exact copy of this original little gene packet in, in its little vector delivery method, its little mobile unit. And um, that takes a long time. So if you're somebody who's looking to get gene therapy, now you're going to wait for months to make sure that you have enough of these little packets delivered. But to a, a client or a patient, what it looks like is it, it's, it's a very simplistic process. 
the patient, let's say I'm the patient, I was the patient, I'm going to start taking something called an immune suppressant a couple days in advance of my gene therapy. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to keep my body from having a reaction to the delivery of the gene therapy. Because whenever you put something foreign into your body, uh, your body's going to have a response. And we don't want to have a response because we don't want the immune system in there taking out this very uh, expensive therapeutic uh, gene product. We just want it to go in and, and do its job. So I might take a, an immune suppressant for a couple days and then I will go into the clinic. And then it really depends on what gene therapy someone's getting. If, if they're getting something like a telomerase inducer where um, the doctor is trying to hit as many cells in the body, um, they're probably just going to have an IV drip. And you're going to sit for a couple hours and take your IV drip. You can't see it. Um, the liquid is completely clear. And then over the next few weeks, you're going to stay on your immune suppressant. And then you're going to slowly taper off at the end of that and get back to life. So, you know, we're looking at this type of technology, these regenerative gene therapies with an IV drip, you know, may keep us from having to do things in the future when we have the science exacted. I'm not saying the technology is there right now. We're trying to find out if it is there. It may keep you from ever having to have an open heart surgery. Um, you know, your, your kidneys removed or dialysis or um, you know, chronic liver uh, problem. How do you stay healthy while your immune system is suppressed for weeks? Well, you know, that, there, that, that is a good question, especially during COVID. A lot of people are like, wait a minute, you know, you're suppressing the immune system and there's, you know, something like COVID or uh, influenza is always around. The amounts of the therapeutic that are required to suppress the immune system is not like a complete dampening of the immune system. So um, for instance, not in all cases, I don't think with integrative health systems, but in some cases still they might use prednisone. And prednisone, if you got COVID, is something you actually might be um, prescribed. So I'm not saying it's not a cure for COVID. Prednisone and our immune suppressant isn't. What it keeps from happening is it keeps your body from having a cytokine storm. So if you had, let's say, severe pneumonia and you, your body was having a pretty bad response to it, you're having a cytokine storm and you're at risk of dying because of your immune system's reaction, you would be put on an immune suppressant and it would, it would very likely then save your life. So it's, you kind of have to balance out the technology to the timing. So an immune suppressant doesn't necessarily mean that it is uh, you're going to be a, a high percentage risk of dying from an infectious disease. You definitely want to keep yourself safe. You want to avoid people who are sick. You're not going to be eating out. You're going to be eating cooked food. It's not like you're, you know, I, you're not in a highly deadly situation either. But I mean, it, it, it is specific to each person. So again, you would be dealing with a doctor. You wouldn't be dealing with me. I'm, I'm, telling you vastly my experience. No, that's fine. All right, so what, what kind of viruses or viral vectors are used typically for these kind of therapies? So right now, the most common viral vector used in gene therapy is AAV. AAV is a very small virus, and that brings with it some issues. 
it has a hard time packing much of a payload. And so at BioViva, that's one of the problems we are trying to solve. We're looking, we, we, we've done two years research at Rutgers University. We're not done, so I can't talk about it too much. But we're working with a much larger vector that also has a low immunogenicity because the problem with AAV is just getting in one gene uh, can be difficult if, if it is, has any amount of size to it. And um, that really limits us when we're dealing with something like looking at aging, cardiovascular disease, dementia. Those are called polygenic disorders. So there's not one gene that will cure them. Historically, the, the five regulated gene therapies right now are for monogenic disease, meaning there's one gene defect. And so you're only trying to replace one gene. When you're dealing with a complex disorder, um, not to take the complexity away from those patients, that certainly hemophilia B, hemophilia A, it's all very complex, but it's, it's driven by one gene. Aging is driven by a multitude of factors. And so in order to target aging, we're looking at treating the hallmarks of aging, which are 10 factors that happen at the cellular level, and we're going to need multiple genes. So some people might argue, well, just use multiple AAV delivery, but then you don't know what cell got what delivery. You don't, you know, you don't, there's, there's just not a consistency. So creating a therapeutic with a consistency where you deliver all of the genes at one time predictably is just a, a very highly needed area of uh, development. So that's what we're working on. So what does AAV stand for and what kind of cells does it tend to target and through what kind of receptor? Well, this is one of the beauties of AAV. So it stands for adeno-associated virus and do not get it. I do not know why these things get named like this. Um, I believe that it was found around the adenovirus and the adenovirus, even though it still is used in gene therapy, had gotten some very bad press back in 1999. So in 1999, the adenovirus, which is a different virus, it's adenovirus, uh, killed a patient, and it shut down the development of gene therapy, which unfortunately probably then unfortunately led to the deaths of tens of thousands of people who might have gotten a therapeutic cure if the, you know, the development would have stayed open, but it literally shut down the industry. But the AAV is the adeno-associated virus. Think of it as being associated with adenovirus, but it's not an adenovirus. It's, um, again, it's much smaller. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. And the, it, the great thing about the development of AAV is that scientists went in and they made a bunch of different what is called serotypes. And, that, and serotypes are different ways of creating the capsid, the, the mechanism that docks with the cell so that they would dock with specific, it's called tropisms or tissue types. So with AAV, we have a bunch of different serotypes that can target different tissues in the body. Although I think that arguably uh, a lot of them uh, still end up, you know, really hitting the liver in, in places that they didn't intend to uh, more than they should. But so adeno-associated virus has, gives you the ability through a myriad of research to target different cell types, like you might want to target muscle or neuro tissue or um, 
adipose tissue. So you can actually go and, and look at the, um, the list and develop a therapeutic around a, a tissue that you're most trying to target therefore giving you some ability to avoid other tissues. And so that is where early development of vectors, like the one we're working on, you know, still needs to go through all of that. So you could, you know, define it. Although AAV just recently in a paper, it looks like it, it could get better in the next five years or so, because some researchers went back to the drawing board and looked at the wild type and found that some of some mistakes that were made along the way that make it not dangerous to people but make it less likely that it will transduce cells as well and so it's very likely that the next generation of aavs based on this new research will be even more able to distribute the gene i would like to say infective but people get really nervous about those kind of terms but you are trying to get as much payload to the cells as possible when you think about a, a vector little think of it as you know where spacex is rocketing up uh, some man to or, or some woman better yet to dock with the international space station and you need a special little capsid to dock onto the international space system in order to get the person in to it safely. And that's what a viral vector is. It, it really is a docking mechanism. So your cell is very specialized. And, you know, I know from the outside, it looks like this, you know, gooey little cell of cellular membrane that, that looks like you could bounce on it, but it actually has a bunch of little receptors and these little vectors, like they just like to uh, attach right onto there. And then the cell says, come on in and makes a little endosome around the package and delivers it right to the nucleus. I mean, that's the, the um, amazing part of, of vectors. And, and that's why, you know, viruses have been so effective at, um, infecting humans for so many years. Uh, for, for both positive and negative, there, there are a lot of genes now that we think uh, came from viruses that may be associated with uh, language and memory and things like that. So these are not all bad things, just to let people know that. So once the virus gets in, the viral vector allows the genetic material to get in, how does it integrate into our DNA? Well, that's the great thing about AAV, and that's what we're trying to develop as well, is you don't have to integrate it into your DNA. Uh, a lot of people are nervous about that. They're, oh, no, you know, you're altering my DNA. AAV gives us the ability to create what's called an episome, and it's like a little circlet ringlet of DNA that sits outside of your chromosome, and that way we don't uh, disrupt uh, the chromosome. Luckily, when you use a wild type, if you were to use a wild type AAV, it integrates into a safe site in chromosome 19 in humans, so it doesn't cause problems. But things like lentivirus uh, that has been around for a long time, it's another viral vector delivery method, is only used ex vivo now because it was, it is a virus that will integrate kind of randomly and it causes something called integrational mutagenesis and it it can cause um, disruptions and so we don't use that's why we don't use lentivirus and uh, we prefer episomes we prefer not to integrate at this point but it, people ask you know they'll say well CRISPR isn't CRISPR 
uh, a different type of gene therapy altogether. Well, actually, CRISPR is also delivered with AAV. Uh, you could deliver it with a, a multitude of, of uh, delivery methods, but uh, it's vastly delivered with AAV just to get that out of the way. If it sits outside the nucleus in like a circular um, you know, format, does it just amplify the expression of a gene that's already in the DNA, or what does it do? It, so it can sit inside the nucleus, but outside the chromosomes or it could sit in the cytoplasm outside of the nucleus. Um, if you are going, if you just want to put something in the cytoplasm, you might be better just using a liposome uh, delivery method, depending on the proliferation. I wouldn't do it with HTERT, but so what does it do? Then it just essentially gets read uh, just like the rest of the code in your body. Um, it is, it, you know, mRNA comes along and, and reads it and transcribes it. And um, it then, you know, changes you. The, the whole point of the, the gene is to upregulate a protein that makes your cells uh, more youthful or has a, a youthful effect on the body like a myostatin inhibitor. So then those proteins that it codes for are the, the, the medicine. They're the therapeutic. I have this particular gene that you're going to do the therapy with already, and maybe it's oh, yeah. genetically marked and silenced, right? Like Oh, yes. Yeah. So all of these genes that I'm talking about right now are genes. They're human genes. And so, yeah, so we could go in and... Yes, you have these genes, but you just don't have them upregulated. And in some cases, you don't have them turned on in certain cells at all, like the HTERT that codes for telomerase that lengthens your telomeres is in all of the cells of your body that have chromosomes, but it's not turned on. So arguably, there's another way that we can do it in the future, and we can take CRISPR, and we can tell it to go in and take the repressor off of that gene. Now, the only reason that, you know, we're looking at both routes of doing things is one, CRISPR is new. And so we're, when you, when you use CRISPR, you only have so many base pair to actually match it to. So you've got this little coding and you have to make sure that where you're going to use it, you don't have multiple areas of that same, let's say 20 base pairs or something that, that we have as a runway to know where to use CRISPR. So CRISPR is still relatively new technology, but all, so somebody probably does know that that's listening to this and, and I'm really happy and you should contact me and tell me. Um, we do have one specialist in CRISPR in, in, the, in the company uh, that's working on a project with us, but as far as doing that, we don't know that your, your genome wouldn't just um, methylate it again. And methylation is when a methyl group attaches to a CG site and tells the gene to turn off again. So the beauty of the episome is to give us an outstanding factor, an extra gene, and see how long we can get it to work without being methylated. Okay, so this is like overcoming an epigenetic mark, essentially, and that's what the gene therapy is. Yeah, it's saying go, 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 go. Now, a lot of people are suggesting in the research that the telomerase-inducing gene therapy, if you use DNA, is permanent to the life of the patient, 
And, but many who are experts say that it's not, that it will probably be repressed within a matter of months. And, and that's something that will be an ongoing uh, research project. The, the problem with humans is uh, life is long, which is actually a good thing. Um, the great thing is, is we want to extend the healthfulness of that lifespan. And so what we'll need to do is mark, watch and evaluate patients who participate in those type of therapies. So I guess if we understood um, genes get, get silenced, let's say, once we stop uh, going through our adolescent stage, if we were able to know which ones were appropriate and you know, re-express them, we might be able to uh, do some kind of anti-aging or maybe even uh, you know, limb regrowth. I mean, I guess there's a lot of possibilities if this is understood and done right. Yeah, well, I mean, let's expand the possibilities. So let's take that and expand the possibilities. So you're talking about the grow and go phase. And so people, you know, we, when we're developing, so there's, from the point you're conceived to the point that you're born, you have lost thousands of base pairs of telomeres, and you only have a limited amount of those to go through. So if we're just looking at telomere science, when you're going through development, you're rapidly going through telomeres. Uh, because you are going through massive cellular division. So development isn't really a great place for people to be in. As a matter of fact, there's two points of your life where you're higher risk of cancer, and that's in development, and that's when you're old. So um, because things can go wrong in those replicative processes when you're young, and when you're old, you have no immune system. Your thymus is depleted, and um, you're, you're not doing so great. So... Um, if we're looking at genes associated with growing, maybe or maybe not, there, there may be some great candidates in there. Um, I know that people have looked at growth hormones and, and various things like that. Those to me seem kind of downstream from, from the bigger um, stories. And right now, um, I'm sure that people who are watching anything in the longevity area, people are very interested in the Yamanaka factors minus one of the genes. So Yamanaka um, won a Nobel Prize. I don't, I can't remember if it was 2012. I feel really bad about that, but I can't remember right now. But um, he essentially was able to use four genes to reverse the age of a cell to an embryo. And so in this, you could take the skin cells from an 80-some-year-old person and turn them into an embryo. Now, the problem is, is we don't want embryonic cells, really. I mean, it's a great proof of principle, a pr proof of concept, but you, you're, if your cell is embryonic, it doesn't know what it's supposed to be when it grows up, and that puts your body into a very dangerous state, right? Uh, because <laughs> you need a liver that. But, but wouldn't it? Wouldn't uh, the adjacent cells signal, and you know, get it to fall in line, and you know, again, it's in the right place. The appropriate signaling may cause it to differentiate in the right path. Yes. Well, you would think so. But what you're talking about is if you've injected this into somebody's body, biology just doesn't work quite that well. Um, so, you know, you couldn't say, okay, one in a hundred cells in this area are going to turn embryonic and then the cells around it are going to tell it what to do. I mean, you might get a clump of cells that turn embryonic and then don't know what to do in the wrong tissue. Anyway, I'm telling you that it is very promising. 
And it, I'm just, from the very beginning, it's take an old cell, turn it into an embryonic cell. Now people are learning how to just reverse some of the effects, maybe not go all the way back to embryonic and to control the process. Now, I would argue kind of that's what we're trying to do with the gene therapies right now by the lengthening telomeres and, and, and various other things um, that right now is probably, you know, safer, but that doesn't mean that in two years that this other technology wouldn't be and that we might be able to program cells uh, to just, you know, epigenetically get their act together and behave more youthfully without turning embryonic. And, and so the reason I bring this up is that this is also another argument for a larger vi viral vector that can deliver predictably to each cell all of the genes that are needed to do that. So that is a promising and also another promising. We're, we're excited about all of it. You, so my company is a company that is steeped in creating better therapeutics. We're not in love with one hypothesis. So I took some gene therapies. I took many gene therapies now, but um, it, I'm, it's not, we're looking for a cure for humans. And so we're open to all of the possibilities. So I, we are very open to looking at that technology as long as it's regulated and could be used in a human. Because if you could only take some cells out of your body, turn them embryonic, make them young and put them back into the body. I think that's, that's just, um, I mean, that's called ex vivo gene therapy, and it might work for some conditions, but it would be a very slow process to regenerating a body because when you shove cells back into a body, they don't necessarily integrate and start doing their job. A lot of them, you just end up literally pissing out. Um, so there's, you know, so the, the promise of the technology, I'm trying to get people excited without being polar, is really exciting we have to be a little bit hesitant on our side because we actually work with a company that does clinical access. And so we have to be careful about making sure before we start talking about things that it is ready for prime time. Yeah, I understand. Um, in regards to uh, lengthening telomeres, how is that accomplished? Like do telomeres participate in uh, transcription and, you know, coding of proteins and other things or like, how would you affect them? So telomeres are the caps at the ends of the chromosomes. And when the, the DNA is read, it's believed that the reason that they shorten over time is that instead of trying to read all the way to the end and creating some sort of garbled message that would then put the organism at risk, the reading guide just stops right before the end. And therefore the cell that is being divided from the original cell has a shorter telomere as a protective measure. Um, there is a lot of things about telomere biology that you really have to get a specialist in for because there are there are sequent there there the way that the structure is actually held together and there's DDR there's this damage that can happen to them where they appear long but they're no longer functional and um, but the enzyme itself actually lengthens the telomeres by helping the reader extend the telomere with the proper code. So it basically is enzyme that strings the RNA and, and helps the ends of the chromosomes reestablish. And it's really the only way to lengthen telomeres that we know of. Now, we've heard people say that through meditation and 
some other things that they've been able to lengthen telomeres. I, that's great. I mean, I meditate, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if, if that was the case, you know, people who meditated would be along for an extraordinary long period of time. So the listeners understand there's, I don't remember how many now that the data keeps growing. There's probably over 200 species now that are directly, their lifespan is directly linked to how fast their telomeres shorten. So it's not how long your telomeres are when you're born. It's how fast they shorten. So let me put that into some sort of case in point. They're sea urchins, okay? Picture a sea urchin. Google it for a second if you don't know what one looks like. Pretty miraculous, different type of creature. And there are some that have um, decently long telomeres, but they shorten pretty quick, and their lifespan is associated with that life, with that length of that, the quickness of shortening. There's a sea urchin, and I can't remember the name of it. It has a short telomere, but it its telomere barely shortens over time, and it lives an extremely long period of time. And mice are another example. They have long telomeres, but they shorten actually really quickly. So from mice to humans to bowhead whales to a myriad of other species, now dogs, uh, their lifespans are based on how fast their telomeres shorten. And if you're wondering, it is true, a Great Dane's telomeres shorten significantly faster uh, than a smaller dog of a much longer lifespan and completely in line with what we see and we've experienced in our lifetimes, uh, dog telomeres shorten 10 times faster than humans, which explains their lifespan differences to ours. So there are different factors in aging. Uh, there are different diseases that you might die of and you might have a shorter life than someone you know of the same age but um, your telomere biology plays an important role in it, as do your epigenetics. Um, I don't know if you know, we're doing an epigenetic clock now. We have a, a, a test for direct-to-consumer tests so people can understand how biologically old they are. And, um, and the biomarkers of the hallmarks of aging will just continue to grow. These are the things we're going after, epigenetic changes, telomere attrition, mitochondrial function. These are the, the things that you will be diagnosed with in the future. You know, today you're diagnosed with downstream effects of aging. You might be diagnosed with high blood pressure, high LDL, you know, chronic kidney disease, dementia. Those are all byproducts of things going wrong at the cellular level to begin with. And my hope is in the next 15 or 20 years, when you go to the doctor, they'll be talking to you about telomere length, mitochondrial function, stem cell depletion, cellular, you know, junk, um, things that, that are actually driving the conditions that we see today, which are just symptoms of symptoms of symptoms of, of generally getting old. So I understand more of, you know, the importance of telomeres, but Again, if you get into the mechanics, like literally, how would you lengthen them? Like the therapy that you underwent, like, you know, breaking it down mechanically, like how did it work? Okay, so how it works is the gene that you have delivered, the therapeutic gene is called HTERT. Its promoter says, let's make this a thousand times today. Let's make this, let's, let's code the protein from this gene a thousand times today. The protein from that gene just so happens to be an enzyme called telomerase. And then that telomerase then is the patch for the ends of the chromosomes. What is amazing is even in children with progeria, which is advanced 
aging. It's basically accelerated aging. They die of the diseases that we die of in our 90s, in their teens, sometimes, sadly. Um, some can live to their early 20s. When you take progeric cells and you put this, this gene therapy in them, it actually lengthens their telomeres. They have short telomeres. Um, they are plagued with, they're born with short telomeres and their telomeres uh, shorten even more quickly because of a, a byproduct of a protein called progerin. And that's how the, the disease got its name. So this enzyme is, the, this is the patch. This is the fix for the ends of the chromosomes. And then, you know, you have all the, the dogma of the cell that you've got all of the cell processes that use those proteins and then, you know, restructure the ends of the caps of the chromosomes. So people are always producing some level of, um, of telomerase to, is that what slows the, uh, the loss of telomeres or? Well, actually stop? in your cells. So for some reason in us, not in other very long lived species, but in us telomere, um, H-TERT was turned off in every cell except for our germline. So your germline are your sex cells. They're your sperm and your eggs. And telomerase stays on in those. And the reason it does is so that you have youthful, healthy offspring. Because if you were to pass on short telomeres, you, you pass on disease. We know that. And so... Um, the rest of your body, except for some stem cells, have it turned off. And stem cells have it on in slow capacity, you know. It's not, it's not enough to keep your organism, you know, that those cells, you know, just proliferating out without eventually depleting themselves because the stem cells themselves deplete. So, um, so it's on in some stem cells and it's on in your germline cells. The rest of your body, it's turned off. And again, it's... It, we don't know why, you know, some people, they come up with a reason, but evolution doesn't, evolution is kind of a roll of the dice. And then the organism either lives or it's defeated by that, by a bad roll of the dice, or it lives longer because of a good roll of the dice. It's not necessarily for a specific reason, but we are a very long lived species. So we're lucky that we get the 50 to 60 cell divisions that we do. Uh, if you want to beat that, if you want to go beyond that, you you need to therapy up. So for most of our cells, uh, we start with a certain length of telomeres, and then it's like a fuse that burns down with each cell division? Yeah. So when you're conceived, you have about 15,000 base pairs. And when you're born, you have about 10,000. And by the time you're diagnosed with an end-stage disease, you generally have 5,000. They're called critically short. They don't shorten anymore. There's interesting thing about epigenetic clocks and telomeres is that um, a, a telomere is kind of, it's a really good gauge of disease. It's not a good gauge of aging because when they become critically short, what happens is your cells turn senescent, which is another hallmark of aging. It stops dividing and it can stay in that critically short stage um, for the rest of your life. Um, and senescent cells are are, there are some good reasons that we have senescent cells for sure, but an accumulation, a lot of senescent cells in your body are not good because they put off inflammatory markers. But essentially they're saying the telomeres are critically short. In some of the studies of lung tissues where they saw 
senescent cells, but they didn't see critically short telomeres. It was because of the DDR damage, where the telomere has completely turned off. It hasn't shortened, but it no longer functions, and the cell is senescent anyway. So do not smoke. Um, you can hear my voice. We are just now recovering from um, week-long you know, smoke incident from West Coast fires. And not good for you. I had air, air purifying systems going and things like that, but those sometimes you can't avoid. But one thing you can avoid is cigarettes. Cigarettes are really bad for your telomeres. So, uh, hmm, interesting. So the, the telomere therapy, again, would uh, attempt, attempt to lengthen them back. Do you have any control over the degree to which they're lengthened again? You know, do you want to get back to that 10,000 sweet spot or, you know, in between five and 10 is great? Boy, you know, that would be super awesome. But right now we're just trying to get the gene therapies to work in, in a human organism and see that there's an effect over uh, a lot of people. And so, you know, it's really the early stage days. I wish we could not, I, if we could knock all of those things off at one time, that would be great. But again, AAV has its limits. Uh, we can't target every cell in the body. Let me tell you a really bit, little bit about uh, some biology um, in cell biology with gene therapies as well. There are genes that you deliver and they share their protein out into the blood, meaning that all of the body benefits from them. And because of that, you don't have to treat the whole body. You don't have to do an enormous amount of gene therapy. One example would be a myostatin inhibitor. You can do a smaller amount of gene therapy and increase the muscle in your whole body uh, because the protein, again, is shared in the blood from the cell. So the gene makes the protein and then the protein can be shared in the system. When you're doing something like telomerase induction, it does not share to other cells and it creates a big problem. So I am not going to tell you that we have this problem solved at this point, but we are working on it diligently of how do we target all of the cells in the body or how many therapies would it take to hit all of the cells in the body and, um, and have the net effect of telomeres that we'd like, or how can we uh, program a therapy to just go in, let's say, and hit things like stem cells so that maybe over years worth of regeneration, your body eventually is, is renewed and, and benefited. And then, of course, the reason that I'm interested in DNA over RNA at this point is because I believe um, that long-term expression of telomerase will be necessary. Otherwise, you're going to be subject. I, I like cures over care. And so if we can cure the problem by turning it on uh, permanently, uh, I think that we're, we're better off. There used to be a belief that there was a Goldilocks effect to telomeres, that um, number one, people feared that telomeres might get crazy out of hand long, and that just wasn't the case. And then there was this other reasoning that if they did get long, your cell would dampen them itself and cut them short. It, it was debunked uh, in 2019. There, there, it, it does appear that having telomerase turned on is a relatively um, decent thing for a cell to have. And we do see it in some organisms like lobsters that, that have enormous lifespans. As a matter of fact, the, the one breed of lobster that has the, um, 
the good amount of telomerase upregulated generally dies because it gets it can't hide anymore it gets so big <laughs> but that that's that's an organism that's in constant growth and that's not where we want to be and it's not because of telomerase that just so happens to be another mechanism of the little crustaceans um, genes well very good um, we're just about out of time now so Elizabeth what's the best way for people to see more about BioViva and, and your work Gosh, if you want to learn more about BioViva and the exciting future uh, that you are going to have, because I mean, right now when everything is just so grim and things are so sad and people have been turned against each other in politics and, you know, I, I'm so, I couldn't be sad about that. If you want to look at some uplifting stuff, um, come and check out BioViva-Science.com. I mean, okay, we don't have a bunch of funny memes up, but, but what we do is we have some information to start you on the road for your future, and your future is going to be brilliant. You're going to be strong, healthy, you're going to live longer, and all of this can only happen, you know, with your support and, you know, with the, com the whole community's um, mandate that good health needs to be moved over into the fast lane, uh, that we need to get to health care instead of sick care, and, um, and therefore, you know, we won't have, you know, people dying of old immune systems uh, due to a pandemic. We wouldn't have needed to shut down the country at all. Very good. So again, uh, the best way to find you is what, BioViva website or how should we? Yeah, bioviva-science.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, we're on Instagram. Um, I've been posting some stuff to Instagram, but mostly it's done by other people. But you can find me on Instagram. Uh, reach out and say, hey, um, if you're interested in more information, you can always contact through the website and Katarina will get information or questions to the rest of the team who may be able to answer something more deeply for you. Okay. Well, very good. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. It was so awesome. Excellent. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.